What's up, guys? I'm Jared Lopes, and you're listening to the Dad Tired Podcast, where I'm helping everyday families learn how to follow Jesus in everyday life. How's it going, guys? Jared Lopes back here with you on the Dad Tired Podcast. It's good to be with you. and want to welcome those guys that just stumbled upon this podcast for the first time. We're glad to have you. Dad Tired is a community of men who are taking their faith, their family, and their marriage very seriously. Uh, we feel like our role is to equip you to lead your family well. Uh, there's just a lot of dudes out there who... Uh, a lot of millennial guys, you know, between the ages like 24 and 35-ish, um, who really want to be super solid husbands and dads, and yet we didn't have dads around, um, or we had dads around, but they were absent, and so we just don't really know what that looks like. We thought we would be better husbands and dads than we actually are, uh, and so when we got married, <laughs> we realized we're, we're not as good at this as we thought we would be, uh, and that's why Dad Tired exists, is to um, kind of share our journey and to help equip men to lead their family well. You can probably hear my kids yelling in the background right now. This is a really like uh, low production <laughs> uh, podcast, but we've got thousands of guys who are part of this community. We'd love to have you hang out with us and be part of that community. You can do that by going to dadtire.com, clicking the community tab, and that will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook. Like I said, with those thousands of guys from around the world who are uh, are trying their best to lead their family well. So come hang out with us there. Uh, we also have a devotional called Stop Behaving. It's a 28-day devotional that's meant for you to go through with other dudes. Uh, so find a friend, uh, find ideally two friends who would meet, commit to meeting uh, with you for the next four weeks and go through this devotional. Uh, again, it's called Stop Behaving. You can pick that up on dadtire.com. It's on sale right now uh, on dadtire.com. So, um, I mentioned in this last episode that the Bible Project guys were going to be on last week. They had a a really unexpected event come up and had to cancel their time with us last week. And I found that out the day we were supposed to record, which was the same day that I left out of the country, which is why no episode got posted last week. I apologize for that. I had planned on recording in the morning, editing, putting it up that day, and then taking off on a red eye. And uh, it just didn't work out like that. So that's the first time I've missed an episode in well over a year. And um, my heart was like sinking as that happened. So I apologize. The Bible Project guys felt really bad, but they're committed to be on in January. So be on the lookout for that. It's going to be really good. I also mentioned in last week's episode that I'm going to take the whole month of December off. And uh, that's still true. I Like I said, I just got home from being out of the country. I leave for California to do some stuff with family. Uh, this coming week. And then when I get back, I immediately go to Nicaragua for a while to train some pastors there. Um, So it's a really crazy schedule for me as I'm ending out the year. And I'm not going to be able to put as many episodes up as I want, or I should say record as many episodes. But what I decided to do with a suggestion of one of the listeners is to put up um, past episodes or some content that maybe you haven't heard in the past. So on today's episode, what you're going, what you're about to hear is me teaching. I was a, a guest teacher at a church here in Portland area, uh, and and this was a message I gave there. And uh, I'm just convinced that it was it was obviously not just for dads and husbands, but um, as a dad and husband, I'm always speaking to fellow dudes, and uh, I'm just confident that this episode, um, this message is going to resonate with a lot of you. So. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys are having great Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday season and looking forward to getting back into recording a bunch for the new year. But for now, I love you guys. Thank you always for listening, leaving those reviews, and I hope this message is encouraging to you. Later. When I was in sixth grade, um, 
I had a friend in class. Uh, he, I grew up with him from kindergarten all the way up through high school. Um, his name was Julio. I'm not saying that wrong. It, was, it wasn't Julio. It was Julio. Um, and, and, and Julio had, he had red hair and freckles and just kind of, he was a smaller kid. And he just seemed to be a magnet, a target for the bullies. Um, and just a sweet, cool young guy. And, but in sixth grade, um, I was outside and at recess playing basketball. I was shooting some basketball, and I see him out in the field running, um, you know, in the grass area, and he was, he started to run towards me, and he just had this panicked look on his face, just fear, and, and he's running towards me, and it's quick, I, I quickly found out, I could see that one of the bullies at the school was chasing him, chasing right behind him, um, and so he, Julio was just, he was just freaked out, he's scared, so he runs right past me, and following him is his, this bully, and so I decided, I just stuck out my arm and I clotheslined him. And, and he just went flying, I mean, just caught him off guard. He was not expecting it at all. And he just, he, he, his legs kick up and he slams on the ground. And of course, that happens to be the moment that the teacher looks. Um, so she missed the whole story except me clotheslining my, this bully and taking him down. And so she's like, Jared, get to the office. I'm like, no, but Julio, I'm like saving him. She's like, get to the office now. And I'm trying to plead my case and she, you know, she wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, and I, I ended up getting in trouble. I, ha- I got sent home actually. And, uh, so I was just, in my mind, she was out of context. You know, she, she came in at the wrong side of the story. If she would have seen the full story, she probably would have rewarded me instead of uh, sending me home. Um, but she had missed a big part of the story. And, and, and sometimes she, she came up with some inappropriate conclusions based on her, what little she knew of the story. Um, we do that with scripture sometimes. We'll, we'll start in the middle of a passage or we'll kind of flip through our Bible. God, speak to me. And we'll, we'll read something. And we, and we can make some inappropriate conclusions without having the full context of a story. And so we're actually going to do that today. We're going to jump right into the middle of the story. And if we read it just by itself uh, and draw conclusions, we could miss some things. And so we never want to do that. We want to get a full picture, the full context of what's happening within the story. So our game plan for today is to start right in the middle of the story. It's going to be like we turned on a movie right in the middle and we kind of get it but don't fully get it. Well, we'll start right in the middle of the story. We'll read that. Then we're going to jump back three years little over three years to the beginning of the story. We'll work our way back to the middle, and then we'll move forward. Does that make sense? Amen. Game plan for today. One more time. We'll start in the middle of the story. We'll jump back about three and a half years, move to the middle again where we started, and then move forward from there. So if you have a Bible, uh, would you turn with me to Matthew? Uh, There should be a Bible in the seat in front of you if you didn't bring one. Um, And if all of that fails, we'll have it on the screen for you as well. Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start in verse 69. Matthew 26, 69. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the Gospels, first book in the Gospels, biography of Jesus' life, kind of towards the end of your Bible. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. So the the fact that the verse starts with the word now tells us we're missing something. Something happened then, and now something's happening. So we already know right from the start we're out of context. That's okay, we'll keep pressing forward. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the 
people there. This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, We only have a small snippet of the the story. We've come in right in the middle, but we know there's a guy named Peter. We know Jesus is involved. We know there's some girls and some, some people questioning Peter, but Peter denies it, denies that he even knows Jesus, and there's a rooster involved. Right now, that's kind of all we know, but we're gonna jump back three and a half years to figure out who is this Peter guy, and how did he get to this point where he's denying who Jesus is? So I put together a little biography, some just quick facts about Peter's life to help us wrap our minds around who Peter was. The first thing that we know is that Peter was married, as we see in Matthew 8, Mark 1, and Luke 4. Uh, we see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, which tells us that he was married. He's referred to almost 200 times in the New Testament. To put that into context, the disciple John is only mentioned 31 times. So second to Jesus, Peter is the number one character talked about in the Gospels, referred to almost 300 times. Um, He had a home that housed himself, his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother Andrew, and possibly Jesus. Um, It wouldn't be a poor assumption to think that Jesus spent time at Peter's house, a significant amount of time, and possibly lived there at times. We'll go to the next slide. He was a fisherman by trade, along with his brother Andrew. He partnered with James and John in what is considered a small business in Luke 5. We see Jesus um, get into the boat, and it says it was Peter's boat. So again, a fair assumption would be that he was a small businessman, a business owner. Uh, He was not formally educated, though like most Jewish boys, he would have had studied the scriptures from the age of five. He's not the super studious theologian, he's just a fisherman. Uh, He has studied scriptures, but as we know, his trade is a fisherman. He had a distinct Galilean accent, as we see in Mark 14 and Acts 2. Um, This would kind of be like somebody from the south or east coast for us western, uh, on the west coast side. Uh, They're easy to point out. We can can see clearly or hear clearly that they're not from our area. Um, Next slide. He was the first disciple to be called by Jesus. He was in the core group of disciples referred to as the three among, uh, along with James and John. We see in scripture that Jesus had 12 disciples, but among those 12, there were three who Jesus allowed to be part of some of the most intimate and in-depth ministry alongside of Jesus. He was clearly the leader among the 12. We know that because the disciples are often designated in scripture, Peter and those with him. So they list Peter's name first. This happens all throughout the Gospels. They list Peter's name first and then the other disciples. That tells us he was the leader of the pack. He was Jesus' right-hand man. Next slide, we'll see a timeline of Jesus' life here. So those were some quick facts, but here's what three years ago, before he denied, this is what it looked like for, for Peter. Jesus and Peter meet for the first time in John 1. Peter has a brother named Andrew. They're, again, they're both fishermen. They own a fishing business. So they're, they're fishing, and Andrew hears that the Messiah has possibly come. And so immediately he goes and gets his brother Peter. He says, Peter, I, I think we found the Messiah. And so he introduces Peter to Jesus. 
Now, it wouldn't have been customary for them to shake hands yet. That wasn't really part of tradition or culture yet. They wouldn't have shaken hand, shook hands. But there's a word there that's used with the way that they looked at each other. The word is called, it's in Greek, and I'll probably butcher it. I'm not a Greek student, but, but the word is emblepo. And, it, and it, it kind of signifies this, this deep, you know how when you meet somebody, there's like, it's not just like, hey, what's going on? But it's like, there's this almost, there's a, there's a connection there between the way that they look at each other. Emblepo. That describes when Jesus and Peter first met. Peter would go on to spend the next over three years with Jesus. He would very rarely leave his side. Uh, Jesus is, calls Peter to be his disciple in Luke 5. Again, they're fishing. They're out on a boat, and Peter... Uh, they're not catching anything. And Jesus says, I want you to take your net from this side of the boat and put it on the other side of the boat and you'll catch some fish. That's kind of an odd thing. Like, all right, I don't really know why that's gonna be any better. Peter's an expert fisherman, but he does, as Jesus says, puts his net from one side of the boat and onto the other. The, the nets are so full that the, they begin to break and it just freaks Peter out. Like, who is this guy? Who, who is Jesus? And, and Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. He says, I want you to stop fishing for fish and I want you to start fishing for men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fisher, a fisher of men. And so they get back on the shore and Peter leaves his nets and his boat and he, he follows Jesus. He gives his life devoted to being an apprentice of Jesus. In John 6, we see that disciples scatter, but Peter stays. Jesus, at this point, is starting to say some kind of weird things in his ministry. He's starting to say things like, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me if you want to be my disciple. You need to um, hate your father and mother compared to your love for me. Uh, he says weird things like, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. These are all like really intense, radical statements. And so Jesus, at the beginning, had this large groups of crowds following him because he's doing miracles and he's healing. So people are interested you know, who is this Jesus guy? And they're following him and some are disciples. But then Jesus starts to up the bar of what it means to be a disciple. And they flee. They're like, this is, this is a little too weird, a little too much, too intense for me. I'm out. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, are you out too? Are you going to leave? And Peter, in front of his peers, says, he confesses, he professes Christ. He says, if you're God, if you are really Jesus, where would I go? What else am I going to do? If you're God, I'm in. I'm staying. Big commitment. He, he proclaims his loyalty to Jesus. In Mark 9, we see uh, Peter sees Jesus with Moses and Elijah. This is called the transfiguration, kind of a churchy word. But um, again, the, the core disciples, the three, go up on a mountain with Jesus. And Jesus starts to talk to Moses and Elijah in all his glory. Meaning we know Jesus is fully man and he's fully God at the exact same time. But at this moment, he's fully God, all his glory, and he starts talking with Moses and Elijah who have been dead for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And Peter is one of three disciples that sees this. He's like right there witnessing it and fully confirms to him, okay, this, wow, this is really Jesus. This is really the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for. Again, his confidence in, in who Christ is just um, grows in Matthew 16, we see Peter is called the rock, more specifically little rock, not, not the rock. Christ calls himself the rock. But he refers to Peter as little rock. And, and again, the disciples and people are, are, have all kinds of ideas of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, Peter, who, who do people, what are they saying about me out there? 
And he says, some people think you're a prophet, some people think you're a good teacher. And Jesus says, but Peter, who, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Again, big proclamation. He's, he's claiming his loyalty that you are king, Jesus. I'm committed to you. And Jesus says, that's right. On, on that statement, for, for people that make that statement, you guys are little rocks, but me, Christ, I will build my church. I'll build the kingdom based on you guys making that profession, proclamation that you believe I am Messiah, I am king. Again, shows great loyalty to Jesus. In Mark 14, 22, we see Jesus walking on water. Um, they're fishing. Again, they're caught up in a storm. Jesus comes walking on water to their boat. It freaks them out. They're like, is this a ghost? Jesus said, or Peter says, if it's you, God, tell me to come out to you. Tell me to get out of the boat. Jesus says, come on out. It's me. And you guys, for the story, Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on water. We hear that story all the time. It's amazing. He's walking on water to Jesus. Uh, we know that he, he begins to sink and Jesus rescues him and says, why are you so little faith? But Peter, majority of the miracles that happen in the New Testament involve Peter. More than any other disciple, Peter is involved in more miracles with Jesus. And so how do we go from that? How do we go from Peter? I mean, and this is just a snapshot. That, that's a very small timeline of all the events that happened in Peter's life. How do we go from that to Peter being fully convinced that Jesus is Messiah, that he is God, to the day that he denies Christ? To where he says, I don't know the man. Three times he gets asked and he says, I don't know who he is. That's a monumental gap between convinced that he's Messiah to claiming and three times within an hours that he doesn't know who he is. I think in order for us to wrap our heads around that, we need to get, again, greater context. Um, let's read that story again in Matthew 26. Actually, let's jump back a little bit. Let's go to that day, the day Peter denies Jesus. Peter wakes up like any other day. It's start of the Passover, and we learned last week that Jesus said, go get the, the room ready, the, la the room ready for the Last Supper. Now, now Peter, um, this is Jared's opinion, okay? Real clear on this, this is Jared's opinion. This is not, uh, scripture doesn't indicate this directly, but this is Jared's opinion, food for thought, take it for what you will, grain of salt. But Peter that morning is asked, he wakes up to start the celebration of Passover, and Jesus says, I want you to go prepare the room. Now keep in mind, Peter was one of the three core disciples, and he's asked to do what's really considered, in my mind, kind of a menial chore, to go get the room ready, to prepare the room. Uh, and so in his mind, he could have thought, why am I doing this? I'm Jesus' right-hand man. He's gonna build a kingdom. He's got this earthly kingdom. And why is he asking me? Can't somebody else do this? We don't see that he grumbles. We don't see that he says anything about it. He just does it. So Jesus, or Peter gets ready. He prepares the upper room for the Last Supper. What would be their final meal with Jesus? They get there. They're eating the final meal. We talked about this last week with Aaron. Where they're celebrating the Passover tradition. Okay, this is their last meal with Jesus. And they're fully convinced, the disciples are fully convinced, this is a huge part. They're fully convinced that Jesus is gonna build an earthly kingdom and that they will have high ranking within Jesus' earthly kingdom. They have no idea, they have not grasped yet that Jesus is about to die on a cross in less than 24 hours. In their mind, Jesus is king, he's Messiah, 
He's building a kingdom, and they will, get, they will have high ranks within that kingdom. And so, at dinner, they're talking about it. I wonder who's going to be the right-hand man. I wonder who's gonna, what roles we're going to have in this earthly kingdom. And they're starting to kind of bicker, John tells us in the, the Gospel of John, that they're, they're arguing among themselves about who is the greatest among this earthly kingdom that Jesus will be building. And so as they're doing this, Jesus steps away from the table and he goes and he takes off his outer garments and he wraps himself in a towel and he pours a basin full of water and he walks over to Peter and he starts to wash Peter's feet. This is amazing. This is slave-like behavior. This was, foot washing was reserved for the lowest class citizen. Even friends wouldn't have washed their feet. It's a very low-class, slave-like, symbolic demonstration that Jesus would wrap himself in a towel, get on his knees, and begin to wash Peter's dirty feet. And Peter, the only disciple to tell Jesus no, and he's done it a couple times now, says, no, Jesus, do not do this. Because in Peter's mind, Jesus was king. He was Messiah. He was gonna be building an earthly kingdom. So it wasn't like Peter being humble, like, no, God, really don't do it, but make sure you get between my toes and get my left foot. It wasn't like this humble. It was, no, what you're doing is inappropriate. Do not do this, Jesus. Why are you acting like a slave? You are king. If anyone should be washing your feet, it should be me, but why are you acting like a slave? This would have started to emotionally play on Peter's mind, like, what, what is Jesus doing? He is king. He's talking about building this earthly kingdom. Why is he acting like a slave? Why is he doing this? Totally confuses Peter. I think he probably went through a lot of emotional stuff. We learned last week as well that Jesus at that same dinner said, one of you will deny me. You will disown me. And I imagine Peter in all his emotion probably scanning the room like, who is it? Who is the guy that's gonna disown, betray Jesus? He's probably thinking, I'll kill the guy. You know, just his, all his emotion and his passion. After dinner, they're walking from, the, from that upper room into what's called the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would spend some time in prayer before he's arrested. As they're walking there, Peter turns to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I just want you to know I'm fully committed to you. I, I'm all in. I would go to prison for you, Jesus. I would even die for you if I had to, but I am loyal. I am committed to you. And Jesus stops and he looks at him and he says, Peter, before you hear a rooster crow tonight, you will disown me three times. You'll deny that you even know me three times tonight. Imagine the, the turmoil, the emotional, just like confusion that Peter was going through that night. Jesus is acting like a slave. He's acting weird. Now he's saying that I'm gonna disown him, that I'm gonna deny him. We don't see any follow-up conversation on that. Peter's quiet as they walk to the garden. They get to the garden and, and Jesus begins to pray. We're gonna talk about that next week. But Jesus begins to pray and he's fearful and he, he's, just, he's, he's just trembling. He says he's drops of blood as he's praying. It's so intense. So Peter's seeing this different side of Jesus. Again, one of only three disciples who's there at that scene. And as they're there, Judas shows up with the authorities to arrest Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hide, he doesn't try to sneak away. He walks straight up to the authorities and he says, who are you looking for? 
And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, you found him. It's me. That would have been, Peter would have been, what, what are you doing, Jesus? And so the, the authorities go to arrest Jesus. Again, Jesus and his disciples are outnumbered. But Peter takes out his sword and he chops off the ear of one of the guys trying to arrest Jesus. And I'm fully convinced he was not aiming for his ear. In fact, one of the passages says that it was his little ear, maybe his ear lobe that he got. Peter is a fisherman, right? He's not an expert soldier. I don't think he was trying to cut the guy's ear off and be like, ah, I got you. I think he was trying to kill him. I picture him just swinging his sword and the, and the guy leaning back and it just clipping his ear. And Jesus looks over at Peter and he says, Peter, put your sword away. And he takes the guy's ear off the ground and he heals it. Put your sword away, Peter. Now, Peter's had a rough day, a long day, a confusing, emotionally exhausting day. Just minutes earlier, hours earlier, he was telling Jesus, I would go to prison for you. I would die for you. And right there, he was putting his money where his mouth is. I'll pull out my sword. I will kill for you. And if they kill me or they put me in prison, doesn't matter. I am 100% committed to you, Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Put your sword away. And he surrenders. He gets arrested and he goes with the authorities. And Peter's mind my king, my Messiah, should not be acting like a slave. And he certainly should not be surrendering. We're supposed to be overthrowing the government. And now you're surrendering, you're submitting to it? His mind is just totally thrown for a loop. Who is this Jesus? Jesus gets led to what would be very unjust and unfair trials. And Peter follows at a distance and they're in this courtyard, this home, and Jesus is having this unfair trial, and Peter's out a little bit of a distance by a fire, kind of standing back, watching things happen. And this is where we find ourselves, right in the middle of the story. Let's read it again now with a little greater context. Matthew 26, 69. Now, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. Uh, the writer is cueing us in on something when he says he denied it with an oath. In Matthew 5, Jesus taught his disciples, don't make oaths. Don't, don't swear by anything. He said in Matthew 5, 37, simply make your yes, yes, and your no's, no's. Don't make oaths, don't swear. Peter says, I, he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke's gospel tells us that after Peter denied that third time, that in the midst of all the chaos, Jesus actually looks directly at Peter. They make eye contact. And the Greek word there is emblepo. That same word as when they first met. There's almost this looking into each other's souls. 
that there's this deep look as Peter says, I don't know who that is, and Jesus turns. Could you imagine that scene? Jesus turns and they make eye contact. Peter denies him. Peter denies that he even knows him. I'm fully convinced that Peter did not make this decision out of fear of being killed or going to jail. I just don't think that was his motivation in denying Christ. I mean, just a little bit earlier, the scene before this, he's pulling out his sword, willing to go to prison, willing to die. I don't think he was cowarding out because of fear. I think Peter was having a huge faith crisis. In his mind, if he followed Jesus, if I follow Jesus as Messiah, then I'll get to have high ranks in his earthly kingdom. He had built and shaped in his mind who he thought Jesus was, and that image of who he thought Jesus was was crumbling before him. This was not the Jesus that I thought he was. And am I really willing to die for him, to go to prison for him? I don't even know who this man is. He's acting in a way that, I've, that I don't know. I don't think it was a fear decision. I think it was a faith. Do I have faith that this Jesus is really who he says he is? We do the same thing. We, we say, if I follow Jesus, then you fill in the blank. If I follow Jesus, then my family should be taken care of. If I follow Jesus, then I should be healthy. If I follow Jesus, then people will treat me right, or I'll get a good job, or I'll have a nicer car. If I follow Jesus, then I shouldn't get sick. If I follow Jesus, then why did you let that family member die? Why did you let that friend hurt me? Why did you let that person hurt me? Our idea of who Jesus is starts to crumble. And we will go through days and months and years, long seasons, of where we've built up this image of who Jesus should be and what a disciple of his looks like, and it starts to crumble. And we'll ask ourselves the same question Peter asked, is Jesus trustworthy? Is he really worth giving all my time and my money and my energy and my heart and my life for? Is he really who he says he is? Is he really trustworthy? At this point, I feel like Jesus had every reason. He had, it would have been totally legitimate when they made eye contact for him to say, I'm out. I'm not gonna die on the cross. I mean, I poured my life into this guy for over three years and he's claiming that he doesn't even know me and now I'm supposed to go die for him? Now I'm out. But he doesn't. Jesus looks at him and continues to walk to go be killed on a cross for Peter's sin, for our sin. It brings a whole new meaning to the verse in Romans that says, while we were still yet sinning, Christ came and died for us. Peter, at his very worst, Jesus said, Peter, I'll still die for you. While Peter was still yet denying, Jesus said, I love you enough, I'll still do it. I will still die for you. Now this story is about Peter, but who's the story ultimately about? This is a free answer. Jesus. In church, if you just say Jesus, you're bound to be right. So that's a free. <laughs> the story's about Jesus. Yes, it tells us a little bit about Peter, but the story is always about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Who is this God we serve? And if we ended here right now, 
Peter denies that he even knows him. Jesus goes off and dies. That's a depressing story. That would be a bummer of a story. That would be a terrible way to end. But the story is not about Peter. The story is about Jesus. So how does Jesus respond? Who is this God that we serve? Is he trustworthy? We'll end here. Turn your, in your Bibles to John 21. John 21, verse 3. Again, we'll put it on the screen here. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. What's he going to fish for? What? Fish. Real fish. Scaly, smelly fish. I'm going out to fish. Jesus said, Peter, I'm making you a fisher of men. Set aside your fishing of fish and get ready because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Jesus ends up dying. Peter denied that he knew him. That was their last interaction before Jesus died. And Peter goes back to what he knows, what's comfortable, what he's familiar with. He goes back to fishing for fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) I love Jesus' sense of humor. (laughs) No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They've heard this words before, right? Remember when Jesus called them? Throw your net on the other side. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. A couple weeks ago, this, a gal came into the church and she just was broken and her, she felt like her life was just completely falling apart. And she had, there was a bunch going on, a lot of just terrible things happening in her life. And she asked if she could speak to a pastor. She wanted to know if there was a pastor around. And I, I happened to be the pastor on call that day. And, and so I, I went out to talk to her and she's just sharing this, just really terrible things that are going on in her life. And she's sharing and she's crying. And, and I asked her, how in the midst of this, how are you processing God? Who's God to you and and how are you processing just your relationship with him in the midst of all this? And she said, I feel like I can't turn to God right now. I have so much shame and so much guilt and so much junk in my life that I just feel like I've got to stay far. When I sit and try to pray or sing or go to church, I just, I can't do it. There's just so heavy of a burden and so much guilt that I just can't do it. 
And I thought, man, that, I resonate with that. I totally resonate with that. Because when I'm sinning or I, I feel like I'm caught in just a rough season or I'm not reading my Bible enough or praying enough or knowing enough, I just feel like I need to be far from God. If I were Peter, I would have said, turn the boat around. I mean, cover me up. Row as fast as you can in the opposite direction. I've, I've sinned against God. I've been disobedient. I've done wrong. Get me away. I can't face Jesus right now. My life is a wreck. I can't face Jesus like this. Peter jumped out of the boat. The last thing he did was deny Jesus, and yet he jumps out of the boat, and he, he can't even wait to row to the, for the boat to get to shore. He has to jump and swim. He needs to get to Jesus as fast as he can. And it makes me think that Peter knew something about Jesus that I've yet to grasp, that I feel like I'm still learning. Because in my mind, when I mess up, when I sin, when I, when I fall short, I want to be away from God because there's shame and there's guilt and there's fear. I need to realize that Jesus is not like me. He's not like my friends. He's not like my dad. He's not unfaithful. He's not manipulating. He's not revenge-seeking. He's not ready, quick to just jolt down with lightning. Peter understood that that Jesus, the one that I denied, that Jesus is the gracious and compassionate God. That Jesus is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That Jesus is quick to forgive. I've seen him do it. That Jesus is full of grace and mercy. That Jesus has breakfast for me and a fire going. That Jesus embraces me back. When we start to wrap our head around that Jesus, that he's not just this thought in the sky, but he's personally this God full of love. When we start to wrap our heads around that, we can't help but jump out of the boat. I gotta get to him as quickly as possible. I'm sick of running and hiding and covering. I need a God that can show me that kind of love. Jesus pulls Peter's side on the shore after breakfast and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah. He asks him again. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yeah. He says, take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. And he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times and three times Jesus asked, do you love me? He says, God, you know everything. You know I love you. And, Peter, and Jesus says, then take care of my sheep. He, he doesn't just forgive with his words. He actually calls him back into ministry. He calls him back into his mission. And you and I, we talk about this all the time. Let's be on mission. Let's be missionaries. Let's, let's invite people into this journey of loving Jesus. And I know that there are some of us in this room that feel like I'm not there yet. I need to get my stuff together. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't pray well enough. I don't, I, I don't speak well enough. I don't know enough. My life's a wreck. I still have too much sin. You know what the prerequisite for being on mission with Jesus is? Just being in love with him. Jesus said, just love me. Just love me. And you invites him back into ministry. 
And that's your prerequisite. Don't need to know more Bible, more stuff. Have your whole life figured out. Just love him. And there's, you may find yourself in the middle of that story where you're right now actively denying Jesus. You can have all the thoughts in the world about faith and religion and all this stuff, but it all boils down to who was Jesus. He was a real person. The stories I've told today are not fiction fairy tales. This is history. Jesus actually existed. This actually happened. And so everything we do has to come back to who is Jesus. And if he is who he says he was, that changes everything. And some of us are actively denying. We're actively in sin right now. And I pray that today you would encounter Jesus, that you would look to God in Blapo, that you would have that, he would look into your soul and you would feel, God, I need to turn to you. You would do as Peter did, that you would turn from your sin, that you would turn from your pride and that you would turn and run to Jesus. And some of us are on that boat and we say, we need to hide because I've got too much junk got too much sin and guilt and shame and I'm hiding and I need to turn the boat the other way and Jesus would say, I don't forget that I am the gracious, compassionate God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm the God who's got breakfast ready for you. Come and would you jump out of the boat and would you swim to Jesus as fast as you can because you recognize he is not all the men and women that have hurt you in your life. He's the gracious, faithful, compassionate God. And would we run to him? Would we be embraced by his love? No matter where we're at, I pray that we encounter Jesus, that in Blaypo, that we would look into the eyes of Christ and we would realize it's not about me and having my stuff together. It's about the love and the depth of Jesus Christ for me. That while I was still yet sinning, he chose to die for me.